Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to engage your word, to listen to your voice, to hear uh, what you would like to share with us. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to remove all distractions of things that will happen after class, things that, that we don't need to be holding on to. Allow us to just rest and receive, receive your word today. Bring everything back to remembrance that we have discussed, God. I pray that you help me to speak with clarity. I pray, God, that your seeds fall upon fertile soil. And I pray, God, that thy will be done today and you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody took my passage of scriptures. How y'all going to come to the stage of the past and just take the... Oh, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> Y'all didn't see that. I need to pray again. Lord, have mercy. Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. And it reads, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, The Bible says, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy. Everyone say prophecy. Prophecy. That he had given through his prophet Jeremiah. Everybody say Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Therefore, God stirred the heart of King Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his Kingdom, And all of God's people said together. The Bible says in verse one. It was the first year that King Cyrus was the king. And it also says that during this first year. God's prophecy was fulfilled. His prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy that that the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied that you can find, you can locate in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. So what Jeremiah had wrote and what Jeremiah had preached in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, it was now coming to pass years later. And so now in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled, in order for what God had ordained to come to pass, the Bible then says that he stirred the heart. God stirred the heart of the adversary, the the king of Persia, stirred his heart. And when God began to stir the heart of king of Persia, he then wrote some things, passed the law. And passing this law, he freed all of the Israelites who were in bondage. I have a task today. It's a tough task, a tough task. I'm stuck between God's prophecy, and I'm not trying to be deep, just follow me. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. I'm stuck between God's prophecy being fulfilled in seven words. God stirred 
the heart of King Cyrus. I'm stuck between that and I somehow have to tie my subject breaking the yoke of complacency in with God fulfilling his prophecy. Breaking the yoke of complacency, I have to tie that into God fulfilling his prophecy and stirring the heart of King Cyrus. And I believe that if you pray with me, that I will be able to do what God has inspired me to do in, in making these two tie together. Verse 1 of Ezra. It is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Chapter 1, verse 1 of Ezra, it is the turning point in all of human history, aside from the words that Jesus uh, professed from the cross when he said, it is finished, aside from it is finished, this verse, chapter 1, chapter 1 of Ezra, that God stirred the heart of King Cyrus, this verse, chapter 1 of Ezra, verse 1, it is the turning point, it is one of the most critical points in all of the life of Christianity. Without this verse, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, without this verse, there is no New Testament. Without this verse, I will go as, I will go as far as to say there is no Jesus Christ. Without the verse that says God fulfilled his prophecy, how? By stirring the heart of the king that was of the king of Persia. It's not the stirring of the heart of the king of Persia that stands out to me, though. Just follow me. It is the 70 years of silence that precedes it. It's not... God fulfilling his prophecy by stirring the heart of a king who is the king of, of Persia and Persia is the most dominant uh, army in all of the land. That's not the problem. That's not what stands out to me. What stands out to me is the 70 years of God being silent before this verse. This is the longest time aside of the 400 years in uh, when Egypt, when the Israelites were in Egypt. And the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament when God was silent, this is the longest time that the children of Israel had to experience God being silent. When we look at this text, they're in isolation and in exile for 70 years. And for 70 years, God is silent. His presence has not been felt. And it's not until Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 that God decides to make his presence felt again. The last time we hear, besides this, this verse, the last time we hear from God, you can locate him in 2 Kings chapter 25. In 2 Kings chapter 25, that is when you find that the children of Israel or the church had turned its back on God. And when they had turned their back on God in, in 2 Kings chapter 25, that is when God chose to allow them to be taken into Babylonian captivity. That's the last time in history that we hear between that, between that time and between chapter 1 that we hear 
And we see God moving in the life of his people. They, they ceased to honor God. They had walked away from God. Their faith had been diluted and polluted with their associations with people who were pagan worshipers, idol worshipers, of whom they engaged. And because they engaged in these associations, they had lost who they were. And, the, and, and, and because they lost who they were, God chose to take a step back. You can, you can hang out with so many different people that eventually you forget who you are. You can hang out with the wrong people long enough that you, that you lose your identity. Seventy years is a long time for God to be silent. In 70 years, a lot had taken place. 70 years of hanging around the wrong people, they lost their identity, they lost their purpose. 70 years of dealing with heathens, they lost their purpose. 70 years of trying to fit in and be accepted by people who really don't matter, people who really don't know God, they, they, they lost their purpose. I'm talking about the children of Israel. Seven years of compromising their integrity, compromising their values. In the Babylonian captivity, they lost who they were. Seven years of trying to impress the wrong people caused them to lose their identity. They had been out of position for so long that being out of position felt like home. I'll say it again. They had been in captivity and the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, hanging around the wrong people, learning the language of the land. They had been out of position in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, so long that they forgot who they were. And I am saying they were out of position. And sometimes you can be out of position so long that being out of position feels like home to you. And after 70 years, we pick up in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. And the Bible says that God decided to stir the heart of the king. And what does that mean? God stirred the heart of the king so much so that he decided to pass a law that would free all of the Israelites to now leave Babylon and to go back to Jerusalem. They have to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. They have to leave Babylon and they have to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to say it again. They had to leave Babylon and then they had to go back to Jerusalem. But the problem is, is when they had the opportunity to be free, to be liberated, to be released, they chose to remain in bondage. You can be released and still in bondage. And so he, he passed a law that said, hey, everybody who is a Jew, 
You have the luxury and the opportunity because I feel led to allow you all to be released, to have your freedom, to have your liberty, then to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild your temple of your God because I feel in my heart it's your opportunity to be free. But history teaches us that the people wanted to remain in Babylon. Let's not judge them too quick. After 70 years of being in bondage, of 70 years of being down and out, of 70 years of routine, of 70 years of being uncomfortable, of 70 years of being in debt, of 70 years of being unhappy, they have an opportunity for joy, but they don't know how to seize it. They choose to remain in bondage. And when you look in the history books, you'll learn that some people were too afraid to take the journey. When you read your history books there, you will understand that some people were too lazy to take the journey. Their argument was, it's 900 miles to leave Babylon to get back to Jerusalem. I don't think it's worth me walking 900 miles to be happy. I don't think it's worth me walking 900 miles to experience joy that I've never had before. And, the, and when you read some of your history books, you understand that some people had not experienced liberty and freedom before, so they didn't want change. Many people, what we learn is they wanted to remain in their situation. They wanted to remain where they were and how they were living because they did not want to do what it took to start over. Because the start over requires work. To press the reset button requires hard work. And sometimes we have the opportunity in our lives to press the reset button. And you know, just like I know, and you choose not to press the reset button because I've been here long enough. I've invested so much in this relationship. I just don't want to start over. You much rather stay where you are unhappy because you don't want to press the reset button. I'm not supposed to be talking to you yet. But what we learn is that the people, they had a yoke hanging around their neck. And the yoke that they had hanging around their neck was weighing them down. But you couldn't see the yoke, though. They had a yoke hanging around their neck and their yoke had become a burden. A yoke of what I like to call complacency. The yoke of complacency rendered them ineffective. I'm going to stay in Babylon. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. Ain't no need of me starting over. I've been here. This is how it's been. It's no need of me going through the trouble of starting over, of restoring my life. I just, I just learned how to, to operate in my dysfunction. My dysfunction has become the new norm. Yoke, 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 yoke. A yoke is a wooden device, simply and most simplest, simplest form. A yoke is a wooden device usually used to join two animals together so that they may carry a load, so they may carry a burden, right? To be yoked to something is to be chained to it by contract. To be tied to something by contract. 
Two animals. No, no. Two people. It's to attach two people together, three people together, a group of people together, and to have them to carry a burden together. And they're, they're together, they're, they're chained together, carrying a burden, and sometimes a burden that you don't have to carry. And many of us are, are carrying a yoke that was passed down by our parents. Hmm? A yoke. Some of us, a yoke of bitterness, a yoke of complacency that was passed down, the habits, the dysfunction that was passed down, the yoke, the yoke. I know you, don't, you haven't seen a yoke, so I say, since I had somebody to, to make me a yoke, I want you to see a yoke up close. Amen. Amen. So I had it made for the conference. And so here's a yoke. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is light, because yokes are a burden, right? So it was tailor-made for me. And so you see this yoke, and you'll put something heavy over here, and you'll put something heavy over here, and you carry around a burden every day, a burden. And some of us take our yoke off and hand it to someone else. And we have our parents, and from generation to generation, we're carrying a yoke that we shouldn't be carrying, that someone gave us, and we're attached, we're chained to a yoke. And we're in bondage. Or, or, since you don't like that, the children of Israel, they were, they were in bondage. And so what happened was they had been in bondage for 70 years, enough for the parents to die and to pass on that same spirit of complacency. And so what their parents struggle with now, they are struggling with. And now they have an opportunity to have freedom. Now they have an opportunity to walk in liberty. Now they have an opportunity to restore their worship. But they would much rather to remain where they are. I don't want to disrupt my family. My family is established where we are in Babylon. And so I'm going to raise my children in dysfunction because I don't want to press the reset button. I'm talking about the, the, the bondage, the yoke of complacency. And so now, so much so that the Bible teaches us that the people did not want to leave Babylon and go to Jerusalem. And then we have to get to verse 5. They chose to remain in Babylon captivity. They chose to remain in their situation. Whatever your situation is, they chose to remain there when they could have more sabotaging their destiny because they were lazy. Because they didn't have follow through. Because they didn't want to be challenged. Because they didn't want to have to work for what they needed. It was so bad that not only does God have to stir the heart of the king, but when you look at verse 5, it says, then God stirred the hearts of the priests, the Levites, the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted in giving them articles of silver, gold, supplies for the journey and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all of the voluntary offerings. God opened a door. They chose not to walk through it. 
They chose to remain in their cycle of dysfunction. They chose to accept routine and basic and average because this is how it always was and this is how it always will be. So much so that God has to intervene and God needs to stir the heart of the people so that they want to have better. God has to step into the scene and say, look, you don't know no better. You think you're, you're, you're in a situation that's the best. I, let me stir your He stirs their heart because they have an opportunity to have something good, but they're blinded to it. They're blind to the blessing right in front of them. And God needs to intervene and stir the heart of the people. And when he stirs the heart of the people, some of them choose. Because the Bible never says that all of them went. Some of them chose to leave Babylon and to head to Jerusalem. I say it again. God stirred their heart and some of them chose to leave Babylon and some chose to head to Jerusalem. I wonder who the remnant was specifically. The Bible describes him as a remnant of people, the remnant of the Jews. They left Babylon and they went to Jerusalem. What are you trying to teach us? I'm glad you asked. Number one. It took God to stir the hearts of the people so that they could see the blessings that he had right in front of them. But they had to leave all that they had grown to know. They had to obviously leave some relationships. They had to leave some things in Babylon in order to get to Jerusalem. But the Bible also says when you keep reading that some people chose to just offer some money. Some people chose to offer support. But what I gather from this is that some partnerships are designed to help you get through your Babylon. But they were never meant to travel with you to your Jerusalem. Some of your partnerships, your partnerships, your covenants, some of the people in your life were designed to be with you while you were in your Babylon. And they made they were good for you in Babylon. And some of us are trying to take some people into our Jerusalem and some people can't go where God is trying to take you. And the reason why you're going in circles is because you need to change your circle. Some partnerships, when you look at this, some people, they left, they had to break the chains of mediocre, they had to break the chains of complacency, they got up, they responded to God stirring their hearts. They responded to God stirring their hearts. But then they had to say, it was good, I love you, but I gotta go. I, I, I love what we were able to build, sweetheart. But our season has eclipsed because I got to get to Jerusalem. Some partnerships in your life, you have to have the audacity to say the season has eclipsed. Because they had to let go of some people, some relationships, some friends, because there was something that they had to do when they got to Jerusalem. Some people, they cannot carry the weight of your destiny. And where you are in Babylon, what you have experienced in Babylon in this season passing, 
God worked with you. God sustained you. But God wants to shift you. God wants to transition you somewhere else. And you have to want more for your life. You have to accept being challenged. You cannot want to remain comfortable. And sometimes in order to get that, you have to change the people you're hanging around. I don't mean you have to dislike them. I don't mean that they're bad for you. I am saying sometimes seasons eclipse. And so it teaches us that some partnerships, when you look, when you look at the text, some partnerships, some partnerships were designed to help you, to be with you in this season. But when it's time for this season, you have to be able prayerfully to know who you have to close the door to. And some of us can't get to our Jerusalem because you don't want to close that door. Your attitude is influenced by your associations. Your attitude is influenced by your associations. And in order to grow, in order to become who God has called you to become, you're going to have to say goodbye to some of your old associations. The second thing, and the second thing, the second thing we gather when we look at this text, when we look at this text, you'll read Ezra chapter 1 and you'll understand that God stirred the heart of the king. You'll understand that God then turned around and stirred the heart of the people. And then the people then decided, hey, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to rebuild God's temple. We're going to rebuild the place of worship. We're going to rebuild our lives first. We're going to make sure we put God at the very center of our lives, not the first of our lives. They go back to Jerusalem and they are rebuilding the temple. They're in a brand new season. They have a whole lot of new energy. They have a whole lot of New Year's resolutions. They know what they want to do. Everything is well. They're in a new season and they're rebuilding the temple and everybody is so high in energy until... They experience a little obstacle until the honeymoon is over, until January 30th gets here, until the newness wears off. And the moment someone came and someone impeded their progress of, of, of building the temple, when you look in the last chapter, I believe in chapter four, you will understand the Bible says that they stopped working on the temple. So they stopped working on the temple because they experienced a little opposition because someone didn't speak to you because you didn't like how, how this worked out for you. So you just chose to sit down and bow out because you don't like how it feels. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying they were in a new season, but sometimes you carry the wrong people with you. Sometimes you will adopt the wrong attitude. But the Bible says that they stop worshiping. And it's always dangerous, Isaac, when you stop worshiping, when you stop building on that temple, when you stop doing that, when you stop allowing God to not be the first but the very center of everything you do. Everything you do is centered around who God is. It, when you stop worshiping. And so when they stop worshiping between chapters four and chapters five, between the last verse in chapter four and the first verse in chapter five, 20 years eclipse, 20 years takes place. 20 years between chapter four and chapter five takes place, right? And between the 20 years, not just one month, not six months, not one year, not two years, but 19, almost 20 years passes by between chapter 4 and chapter 5, and the entire time they were doing nothing. 
Complacency set back in. They were suffering from what I like to call the disease of just enough. And now they're suffering from the disease of just enough. And like last week, they're in the season called stuck. 20 years passes by and they're not working on the temple. But instead of when you when you stop working on the temple, when you stop worshiping, then you start worshiping other things. You're going to worship something. It's just what you're worshiping. That's really the question. So between chapters four and five, they, they stop worshiping God and they start, they, they stop working on the temple. So how do we know what took place? That's the great question. Haggai, the prophet Haggai comes to the scene. In between chapter four and chapter five, there's only two chapters in the book of Haggai. You probably never heard of the book of Haggai before. That's okay. That's why I'm here. In between chapters 4 and chapters 5 of the book of Ezra, these people, they are so complacent, they're so content, they're just sitting on their do-nothing, and they're chilling. And as a matter of fact, they start to build their own houses. They start to work on their degrees, Isaac. They start to build their empires, get the new cars, Isaac. They start to work on all the things that you can see. And the more you start working on the outer appearance, the more you start working on things that everybody, so you can put on Facebook so people can see, the more you start worshiping these images. And so Haggai, God raised Haggai up, and then Haggai comes to the scene. And I, I, just, I just have to read to you what he says to the people as they are stuck in their complacency. On the first day of the sixth month of the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia, God's message was delivered to the prophet Haggai, to the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. A message from God comes like this. The people procrastinate. They say this isn't the right time to rebuild the temple. Maybe tomorrow. I, 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 I'll do better tomorrow. I'll get get up and I'll work on it maybe next week. And so Haggai comes, he says, listen, God told me to tell you that you all are procrastinating and all you're trying, you're convincing yourself in your mind, I'll start rebuilding, I'll make God first tomorrow, I'll get up and I'll read a little more tomorrow, I'll pray more tomorrow, not today, but tomorrow, right? And then he says, They say, this isn't the right time to rebuild the temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more to Haggai, and Haggai spoke up again. How is it that it's not the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while God's home, God's temple is in ruins? And then a little later, God spoke again. Take a good look, a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You have spent a lot of money, but you have nothing to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking. You keep drinking, you keep drinking, but for some reason, you're still thirsty. You put on layers and layers of clothes, but you can't get warm. He says, and the people, they earn wages, but it's like they're putting money with pockets with holes in it. That's why God said, take a good look at your, a good hard look at your life, think it over. And then verse 14 is what I really just wanted to get to. After God comes. And God speaks to the people and God convicts. God can convict you, but you have to respond to the conviction. God will convict you, but you still got to respond to the conviction. I'm going to say it again. God will convict you, but you have to respond to God's conviction. And it says that, so the Lord stirred 
the spirit of Zerubbabel. So the Lord, we see a third time that God chooses to intervene. And the Bible says that God stirred the heart of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the spirit of all of the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord again. Because the Lord stirred the heart of the people. Yes, I, I gave you the first point. I gave you the first point that some, some covenants are some, some partnerships are designed to help you while you're in Babylon, but they're not meant to get to, or to, to travel with you to Jerusalem, and you need to let some people go. I know you hear it. I say it all different ways, but you need to understand you've got to let some people go. But the second thing we understand is a Babylon attitude will not work at a Jerusalem address. A Babylon attitude will not work at a Jerusalem address. You can move all you want to. You can shift your job all you want to. You can go to a new church. You can find a new pastor to preach to you. You can do all of these things, but if you do not change your, out, out, your attitude, then you will not experience a shifting in your altitude. If you do not change your attitude, you will not experience a shift in your altitude. I am saying it doesn't matter where you go. But one thing is for certain, a Babylon attitude will not work where God is trying to take you. You can get you a new boyfriend, a new boo. You can get married. But if your attitude doesn't change, you will spoil something good that God is giving you. A Babylon attitude will not work at a Jerusalem address. And they left Babylon. And they came to Jerusalem, and the very moment somebody uh, um, stepped on their toes or made them upset, the moment something didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out, then they went back to their Babylonian ways. Where God is trying to shift you, it requires a shift in your attitude. The last thing we learned, what I really wanted to just share with you, and it's very simple. If you want to break your yoke of complacency, this yoke, this yoke, if you want to break your, your yoke of complacency, this yoke, this yoke, this yoke, there's one way you break it. You can't break it on your own strength. You keep trying. That's why you, you can't follow through with anything. That's why you have no follow through. That's why you can't get disciplined. That's why when you toss something, you, have, you keep stopping. That's why you're upset with yourself and you get down on yourself because you keep trying, you keep trying, but you just can't, you can't do what you set out, you set your heart to do. You, you're, you're, you're stuck in a cycle of, of dysfunction and you got complacency ruling your life. And for some of us, it was passed down to us. But if you want to break your cycle of complacency, this is so simple, but so hard to do. You need to ask God to stir your heart. If you want to break your cycle, whatever that cycle is, the only way that cycle gets broken is if you muster the courage, the audacity to come before God and say, God, I need you. Matter of fact, I want you to stir my heart. 
Because when you ask God to stir your heart, you're taking the onus off of you because you can't break. You can't break the chains by yourself. And the reason why you can't follow through is because you're trying to follow through on your own strength. You're trying to create a discipline on your own. You cannot create a discipline by yourself. You cannot follow through by yourself. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to stop and you have to say, God, I need you to stir my heart so I can get up off of my do nothing and do something. Lord, I need you to stir my heart so I can follow through with this. And that means you have to allow God to stir your heart. Pray in the prayer, not just thinking in your mind, Lord, I need you to stir my heart in this area of my life. I need you to move because if anything is going to happen, it's going to happen because you do it. You want to wake up in the morning, Lord, stir my heart. Stir my heart so I can't rest. And then you start complaining because it's two o'clock and you can't sleep. Well, I tell you what you do. Get up. You get up and you need to be before God. You need to write. You need to get before your table. I'm telling you, have the courage and have the audacity to ask God to stir your spirit and watch he do it. Watch he do it. Watch he do it. Watch him do it. Where did that come from? If you want to... Get out of your season called stuck. If you want a cure for your disease called just enough, you need to stop what you're doing and you need to ask God to stir your heart. It's just that simple. That's the only thing I wanted to share with you today. No fancy message. It's very simple. I know we're asking, we're in an age where, tell me how to do this. Give me the three simple steps so I can become this and do this and have this. Give me the, the steps, the how-tos. I know we're in the, in, in the era of how-tos. I'm giving you the how-to. Ask God to stir your heart. Start there. Start there. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're wrestling with, low self-esteem, whatever it is, anger, whatever it is, consistency, whatever it is, ask God to stir your heart. And then when he convicts you, just like Zerubbabel, just like Joshua, son of Jehozadak, you have to respond. God would make the first step and then you make the second step. Amen. Amen. Listen, this series has been wonderful. It's been engaging. And I'm so grateful for you for blessing us and blessing me with your presence. We want to encourage you to come back. And and even now, we want to encourage any of you who have never had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, we want to help you. That's what we're here for at Hope Church. That's what we're here for at HSC. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ, I'm made available to you. Uh, our prayer team is made available to you. We can go. We can help you through the process. If you've never even joined Hope Church before, we can help you through that process. But if you have not had an encounter with the crucified Jesus Christ, you've been coming to church, but you never really had that encounter. It's very simple. We'd love to have that conversation with you, even if you just come up here and just say, hey, we want to we have questions. I have questions. I just want you to help. That's what we're here for. 
we thank you for this opportunity. We're just not here just to give you a fancy message or just to have uh, worship or just to come, just to, you know, say hello to other people. We're here trying to change lives. We want to help you grow in your life. Amen. So we're so grateful and blessed that you are here. And I do not take this, this opportunity for granted. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for what our eyes have seen, for our ears have heard, and what our hearts have felt. God, you know the people who are under the sound of my voice better than I could ever know them. You know what we wrestle with. You know what we toil with. You know what we're trying to hide from. Expose us, God. Expose our frailties. Expose us. Show us ourselves. Reveal our blind spots. Breathe on us. Help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us, God, to, to trust in you, depend on you, and not our own self and not our own strength. I'm praying, God, someone here needs to know you're in the pardon of their own sins. We want to help them. We want to help them to, to believe in who you are, God, to believe in who your son Jesus Christ is and what he had done on the hill called Calvary. We know, God, that we are sinners, and we're only saved by grace, not by our merit. So, Lord, help us to come alongside your people and to be friends and family to them. It's in Jesus' name we sign, seal, and deliver this prayer. And all of God's people said together, amen. amen. Listen, a couple of announcements, a couple of announcements. This is what I need before you leave. Uh, we're early. Um, all of the people who, have, who are fast with us. Who are